So how are we how are we doing this cold open? Do we have to cold open? Can we just like just roll with it? Yo, you know what I'm thinking? Meta cold open because we just discussed the cold. That's open. what I'm thinking. Exactly. Just just use that as the cold open. That then we can't keep agreeing on things. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna disagree. Oh, we're definitely gonna disagree. I've been we looking forward to this audience. We I think this is gonna be the best podcast. <laughs> and if this podcast is bad at the end, you can go back and take it out. Okay, guys, so just to recap where we were last time, you know, in the history of prayer episodes, the main takeaway you know, from secular and Jewish sources is that there really was no concept of prayer being synonymous with hope before a nation had to come out, had to pray to a God to come out of slavery. And that event happening, that prayer being answered, so to speak. Um, it's, it's very powerful because everyone at the time associated gods with a dominion, you know, any any province, any, that's not, that didn't exist, any land, any power, everything with gods was dominion until the Israelites came along. Yes, we still considered God a, uh, a you know, something to, you, to invoke in war. We call God a man of war. But again, very important to know, we call him a man of war, not a God of war. So. Mm, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. That's interesting. I like that thought. So, you know, we say in Az Yashir, the famous song, the, then they sang the famous song of the Israelites at the splitting of the sea. Uh, we say, God is a man of war. Um, you know, loosely translated, obviously, much, much more intricate in the grammar there and the old Semitic language and the old whatever you want, whatever Semitic language it was. We say that God is a man of war, and that's very different because in other cultures, it was very much that it was the god of war. You know, there was no, like... Wait, and we're, we're, there's a separation. We, it's not meaning it's not necessarily... Meaning they would see that as, let's... Just to put it in a way that we can understand, God in his uh, natural habitat, you can call it that, that. That's God's nature, that he's vengeful, and and his I mean, he, power, um, just kind of power-focused. I mean, you know, like, okay, how can I exert myself over exactly. others and then that's and that's a very shallow shallow uh view of god perfect right right so i think that was mainly the main point you know um the entire world didn't really follow suit until a section of jews broke off broke off and created christianity now let's introduce the three questions for this podcast david okay so we're going to try to determine what is Jewish prayer? What is tefillah? What is it about? And what is the best way to approach it? How do we make the most of it? First, that's the, that's the, first, um, that's the first category of things we'll be talking about. The second thing is we'll both discuss what about Jewish prayer has always stood out to us. And one more thing that we're going to discuss is, David, if you will, Ah, if you could fix one thing about Jewish prayer as it is nowadays, what would it be? 
Hmm, that's a that's an interesting question, isn't it, David Chai? So interesting, almost as though I purposely meditated this so that you would be the one asking the question you're uncomfortable with. Well, well played. Uh, I actually didn't. It just worked out really well for me. <laughs> I saw it coming about once we hit the second question. I'm like, oh no, I see what's happening. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's talk about what, what Jewish prayer is. You know, you want to you take this one because I actually would, would like to hear your thoughts on this. All right. Well, to me, there's, there's a couple of ways to look at it, but, from, but just primarily, it's a microcosm of what all of Judaism is supposed to be, and that's entering into what you call a dialogue. And a dialogue is basically how you enter into a relationship when you have a back and forth, a give and take between two parties and between the nation of Israel and between Hashem is there's yeah. a, a unique, a unique relationship that like, as we saw in, in this week's parasha in uh, oh, Deuteronomy four, two, right. That, four, that, that, that who has ever heard of such a nation that, 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 that we have God so to speak uh, on speed dial that when we need, when we call out, God has a, is, is quick to answer our prayers. Um, the problem is people, sometimes they feel disconnected from it for a couple of reasons. Um, one, some of them are really obvious and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about them later on. But one I want to focus on is the idea that people think that there's certain things that we shouldn't or can't pray about. They're too, they're beneath God. I'm not going to bring my petty issues before God. It's just, I'm almost, I'm embarrassed. And there is, there is, and there is a truth to that idea, but the most important thing about prayer, as it is in, in any relationship building activity, is honesty. Don't pretend to be something you're not, and you're going and you're praying and you're pretending to be, you know, trying to emulate the prophets and, and, and say things that you don't even understand. Just be real. You're, 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 a real relationship is, is honesty. And if you're not honest about what you, if, what you want is, you know, a big fat bowl of mac and cheese, you can pray for that if you'd like, you know, it, and the, the idea over time is to develop trust in a relationship when you can be honest with someone and, and they respond to you, then you build trust. And as trust is built, then the connection deepens and you start asking for things that are maybe more important than a bowl of mac and cheese. Also, I wanted to respond to the, to the, the, the verse you quoted from, from Joshua about never before and never again, uh, does such a thing happen that God listened to the voice of man, right? We obviously know that was referring to the stopping of the sun and the moon. So just a quick, I think it's the Rabag or maybe it's the Radak. I think it's the Radak. says that so basically... Both Jewish sages from the 13th century. Sorry, I'm just trying to... No, no, yeah, for sure. So obviously we can't interpret that literally and say, okay, God never listened to a prayer before to do something or a prayer afterwards to do something. Rather, it simply referred to changing the the, the God's typical manner in running the world. The world is running in a certain way. The, the sun rises in the east, it sets in the west, and it goes and it continues and moves and it doesn't stop. But at that time, for reasons that we could get into in a different podcast, but it's far too tangential for this one, there needed to be a pause in the uh, nature factory, in the continual cog of, of Teva, of nature. So in that regard, that was unique and, and, and that was, is unparalleled. When it comes to simple prayer, it's 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 something that 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 has actually become a little bit more discussed in the Orthodox world, more so than it has in the past. And it's just more of a 
of uh, less restrictive when it comes to prayer. Be honest, be real, let your guard down, you know, kind of shed those layers because there's always those layers that we have between how we feel and where we're at and our true selves. That is, that's very powerful. And it shows that you've kind of, now you've kind of, you have been thinking about this a lot and that it's reflected in your, in your daily routine and what you've been taught. I would hope so. I hope so. Um, my, okay. Can I go on a Socratic rant? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Define Socratic for, for, for our listeners. I don't even know. I just said a fancy word, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, what I meant to say is like, uh, uh, <laughs> what I meant to say is like, you're right. The the you know Grisanides Rabag and or Radak Rabbi David Kimpi of the 13th whatever it was. I don't know which century it is. I keep forgetting, but early millennia. They they fo- focused on that verse and they focused on the fact that it was the supernatural aspect that God didn't adhere to. It never happened before or after, and it had to happen then and there. But would not the wise men dictate that it is dishonest and folly? <laughs> To believe that it is natural for God to hearken to the prayers of man. In other words, is it natural for a person to call upon God for something and have that prayer? Like such a person is called a miracle worker. You know, this was, this is the belief. This is the, the thing that, you know, skeptics kind of vie against religious people for. They say, you believe that some entity or, you know, some family guy has drawn figurine is gonna bearded man in the sky exactly yeah there he's just gonna grant your wishes you know he's a gene he's a glorified genie uh i guess that that would be my that would be my question is that not is any request of god then not considered supernatural in that same regard i don't think so because asking for something that's fundamentally against for example, asking God to reverse gravity or to, you know, there are certain things that are, that it must happen, or at least the way we see things that the sun must rise. The sun must continue to move in the sky, but I don't, I mean, just to go back to my earlier example, I don't have to get a bowl of mac and cheese. No one's going to be like, Oh my God, did you hear what happened? David did a bowl of mac and cheese today. It's, it's absolutely wondrous in a bad way. Like it's unbelievable. It's, Certain things are, at least in our eyes, inevitable. The way we see the workings of the world, that these things are, are, have to be. And if they were not to be, it would be the whole world would be turned upside down. Everybody would freak out. So uh, it's not to say that, that there isn't an, 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 an idea that we, our prayers should be on a, on a higher level than asking for mac and cheese. Right? The Rabbeinu Bachia says that, he says, whenever we call out to him, he says, what do you mean we don't get answered every time we call out? So, so he says that, that the time that, that Jews are answered when they call out, specifically to, to the nation of Israel when they call out, is that we're able to pray and say, God, I, want, I, I, I ask of you to do what's best for me in your eyes. And that puts us in a different position. You say, that's, this is truly what... what what kind of prayer can always be answered. And, and, and that differs from the rest of the world 
in that, I mean, this is getting into a whole nother situation, but there's a unique, the, the sages have taught this unique hashkacha, uh, uh, they call it, uh, providence over, over, over Israel. And this is, uh, this is, you know, stated explicitly in, in this week's parsha over and over about Torah portion. Torah portion, all right? God will not loosen his hold on you. God will not abandon you. God is a, is a special, right? we're Am Segula, we're a treasured nation. All this, God told us himself in, in Scripture. If we believe in the divinity of Scripture, we, God is telling us over and over, hey, the rules are different for you. In a lot of ways, you have the advantages, but you also have tremendous responsibility. You've got a lot of things that you've got to do because sometimes just it seems because I said so. And it right. can be difficult for us. All right. All right. This is going to get spicy. This one's going to get spicy. I can tell. I saw it. <laughs> okay. So uh, to preface this, me and David probably have a little bit of different philosophies on the status of the Jewish nation and the... Uh, the special privileges they may share. I'm not saying that we don't have them. I may differ greatly on what they are. Um, so I don't think David's points are mute. I would, however, suggest, I would suggest, I don't know how to say this without making it tangential. And I'm going to say it quickly so that it's not a tangent that we have to go on. To me, the special status of the Jewish nation, like what's most special is when you can recognize that you're equal to everybody else, despite the fact that you were given a chosen status, right? So that's a bit of a complicated idea. It's essentially, you know, the humility we see in, let's say, a king who treats himself as a, who puts himself in the eyes of a civilian or a citizen or anything like that. Um, so to me, this idea that the Jews have this special access to prayer that other peoples don't, I would argue on it based on Kings 1, chapter 8, when Solomon okay. <laughs> when Solomon built the first temple. And he said that essentially what he said was anybody from the Gentiles, anybody from the non-Jewish world, if they recognize the glory and, you know, the your glory, O Hashem, our God, then please hearken to their prayers the same way you would to ours. And, you know... A beautiful speech of, a, you know, all-inclusiveness and this and that. So perhaps maybe the idea is that Jews, even if they aren't as sophisticated in their devotion to God, might have a better access to the prayers, which I would still not really support as an idea. But I would argue from there that anybody, so long as they, so long as they, you know, kind of, went through that turmoil of discovering what it means to have a God in their life. And, you know, despite all the suffering in the world, because we, we equate God with, you know, merciful, and you know, this and that, like, that's just, which is an unbelievable idea, but we equate God with mercy and kindness and this and that. And we, tur we put ourselves in such turmoil to reconcile the suffering of the world with the idea of God. Once you go through a, even a bit of that turmoil, once you ask yourself the hard questions, I think that that's when prayer becomes real because if you, there is some beauty in, and this is what I was saying in the earlier podcast, there's some beauty in the blissful, like kind of, not, I don't want to say ignorant, but I guess missed like uninformed prayer in the, I live in a bubble and I'm happy in that bubble type of prayer. You know, like the, like Proverbs says, ignorance is bliss, uh, you know, but, and then I think it continues with like, even with something that kind of counters that, whatever. I know nobody ever quotes the second half of a Proverbs verse. That's not how it works. Uh, but, uh, 
essentially ignorance is bliss, right? So you can pray blissfully when you're ignorant. That's why, you know, the, uh, that's why there's something so pure in the Jewish tradition about the prayers of children, that God loves the prayers of children because they're so innocent and unencumbered by the, the realities of the world, let's say, not even the, 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 just the facts of life. And it's such, it's a pure belief, you know, and, and they don't hold a grudge for it not being real, unless it's like something that's very, you know, traumatizing even for a regular child. You know, they don't, they don't want to hold a grudge. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't agree that Jews have this special aspect of prayer. I would argue, if anything, Jews need to heart, Jews need to hone their skills of prayer more than anybody else to achieve this, to achieve this uh, kind of connection to God. Because, and I see that this, like, you're not. I feel like you're not like that. <laughs> I, I I think there's for sure truth to what you're saying, and it's not to say that that someone who's not part of the Jewish nation is that God doesn't listen to their prayers. Absolutely, that's not the case. Of course, God does. But I think this survival of of the Jewish people is is that is a testament towards our unique relationship with prayer, because the sages teach that that ain koch liyisrael ela pipiem. Right, the Jews' strength is only in the, in their mouths and only in communicating towards God. We're not really good at at, at physics. We're not really like we don't really have many representatives in the Olympics or any other types of um, really athletic physical. things or warfare. Right, other nations have come and gone. Some have been the ones that lasted for long long periods of time were militarily dominant. They they spread. You know, there's lots of col- whatever the colonization across, like the Greeks and the Romans. They, it was a cultural sweeping thing, but and you know they phased out over time. The the very fact of our survival is to- almost totally dependent on on the history of our of our prayers, and that we've right. It says it says in the the, the next the next verse in, that we were going through in Deuteronomy. It's like God will send you out to all the other nations and it will spread you across the world. And when you will turn to God and you will go after him with, with all your heart, with all your soul, and then he'll immediately, he'll, he will return you to, to whatever it is the rest of us said. It's going to be good stuff. And the idea is that that's all we have. So it's not that we're better than the other nations. It's that everyone has their unique strengths. And, and that is not just an individual thing, but also on a national level. Uh, I don't mean nationalism country-wise. I mean as a people. That this is uh, this is what this is our heritage. This is what we got from from the from the from the for, from our forefathers. That's what we took from them. And to the other things it says in the in the verse in, in Genesis that Abraham sent his other children away and he gave them gifts. And the sages in the Talmud they talk about how there these are different things like uh, the ability to you know how to read the stars and or all sorts of other things. And everyone had their thing. Every nation had their ways of connecting to God. And ours was always the most direct route, our, our direct dialogue. And that's, that's what's special, not better, but unique about the Jewish nation. Mm-hmm. So there is support for what you're saying, as in, I will grant you that the Jews at the inception, perhaps, you know, the Israelites got this, got this uh, opening, this little shortcut to prayer, because we were essentially taken out of a, of a ruthless regime. You know, we were taken out of... Exactly, you know. And, but I would also point out that simply because it was at one point doesn't mean that it still is. Okay, look, look, I'll tell you like this. 
in the in the Israelite culture, any Jew, you know, that grows up with the awareness that they're a Jew, you can argue that it's any person living under a monotheistic religion has this. But I, I personally, I, I'll tell you the truth from extensive research that I've done. I think that it's more widespread in Jewish culture that there is a relationship you have with God. And perhaps these, this idea that we've embedded to ourselves has lent, has lent to this ideology that we can, to a sophisticated ideology of we can speak to God about things. Now, we of course tend to overgeneralize it because as a populace, what we tend to do once life kind of, you know, shows its horns to you. But I would argue in the, ver- the very verse that you brought up, the, uh, the, sec- the next verse in Deuteronomy, that once we hearken to God with all our soul, um, that's when we, you know, once he spread this out, that's when we, that's when we will, um, how do we say, that's when he will gather us in. Now, I can argue that the soul is the, is the defining word of that sentence, of that verse. It's the, the soul is not simply the, the intellect or the consciousness. It's the, it's the embedding of the consciousness into one's life. It's the actions that they take. So, okay, wow, we've spent a lot of time on this. But yeah, I have a good segue for this. I have a good segue here. Okay, fine, yeah. So that, to me, prayer is that action that's embedded from the, from the level of the soul which one reached. So that's for sure. That that's definitely a component, and I think for a good segue, I, I, in uh, not over here, but when in a different place, where in in the recitation of the Shema, right, it says "Bechol v'Bechol Navshecha." So Rashi, right, Rishlam Yitzchaki says "Bechol Navshecha." I'm sorry, no, that's "Bechol Meodecha," but it's still relevant. The "Bechol Meodecha" translate translate is with all of you, with all, you should you should love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your might. And so this, I mean, might is a loose translation as with all these words. Meodecha, um, right, all your might, Rashi understands as with all of your thanks, with all of your appreciation, when you recognize what you have in your life and what, what God is giving to you, I think that's, that's, that's the, one of the most important springboards that you can for having effective prayer is seeing God's gifts in your life. And that encourages you. It, it's a little selfish. It's a little, but that's the way we work. We, that's how we, we incentivize it for ourselves. We see that we have good in our life. We want to express gratitude. Hopefully we want to, we want to, you know, we were taught as children to say please and thank you. I mean, in my eyes, that this is why we were taught to say please and thank you. This, there's, there's no greater Please and thank you then to God, right? This is what the sages write in Tractate Barachot. The sages said that when a person prays, he should first be like a servant approaching his master. He praises them. He says, what, like, a, no, we, we use the word servant and master. It's very different than what you might think of. It's not, um, it has a very different connotation than, so maybe we should use something else here. Let's, but, let's say like, uh, let, Let's just look at it very simply. When we approach God, we first... We, to use a medieval term, the Lord of the house. Yes. So we come up and we, we praise them. We say how, you know... What, meaning if, if they're pray, It's not praise for the sake of, 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 of exalting them or any of that. It, it's just a, it's a recognition for us. God doesn't need our prayers. 
our prayers are more, are much, much, much more, almost all of it is for us, for us to, to help us recognize. So when we're praising God, we're saying, we're, this is the reason we're praying to you because of these, th- these things that we're enumerating, these praises are true. And that's why we're coming to you to pray. And then you go on and you make your requests and the things that you need, all of your, all your needs, right? The, what we, we did in the last podcast from uh, 17a in Brahot about the last thing I think was either Revelaz or Tfila was that all of our, all, all of our needs should come before you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then after that's finished, then you, you thank the master. So this is, if you look in the, in the Amida, in the Shmona Asrei and whatever we're going to call it, that's the way it's formulated. The, the first three blessings are, are, are praise, right? The following, however many there are, I'm not good with numbers, Right, so we have the beginning ones. The first three blessings are the following blessings in, in, in the middle of the Amida are where we ask for our needs. Then the last three we thank. And this is, this is done this way because this is, what we, this is normal for us. When we go to, if you were to go to your government, uh, your local government official trying to get them to do something for you, you would first, you know, there's, I don't want to call it flattery, but I mean, that's maybe the, what, we, what we relate to, how we can relate to this. It's not that kind of flattery it's not it, it has to be genuine it's not well that's why all these th- these comparisons fall short when we're comparing a person coming before god and a person coming before another person because there's all these games when people come before other people and it's so difficult to make these comparisons but the, the idea is that we're not just praising god in the gospel sense oh praise the lord it's about internalizing the praises and recognizing them and recognizing them and that leads us to a greater appreciation and a greater love for God. That's what it's about. Right. Right. So I think we actually kind of covered the first two questions. What's special about Jewish prayer and what, what is prayer? It's in essence, like what stands out to us about Jewish prayer to, to me, it's the, to me, it's the recognition of the suffering in the world and getting to that stage. I mean, to both of us, really, we, we just have different approaches to it, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, to you, it's, you know, you say what it is to you because I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just well, no, I, 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 I agree with everything you said. I think it's, 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 it's about involving God in our lives. God is, is always there in our lives. He's always, right? Enod Milvado, there's none besides God. He controls everything that happens, right? The sages say that if a person reaches in his pocket to take out one coin and he accidentally takes out two, that was ordained by God even the most minute things. And that's a separate discussion. If we want to argue about it, we can argue about it any other time. But this so, will be very tangential. I'll but we actually, can agree. Yeah, we can, we can agree on that. Like, you know, we that, can agree that God definitely has a, a, a large role in, in what goes on in our lives. We can agree on, at, at the very least on that. I'll, I'll, I'll tell it to you like this. that I agree with your statement, but from a different angle. I agree with that God is very involved in our lives. But it's up to us to realize where it's up to us to realize it's not just because I prayed. Like, you of know, course not. Of course, you know, whether you you could not pray at all. The, the fact is, aside from the rest of the world, the vast majority of Jews are don't pray at all. Don't consider themselves religious. Don't some most don't even believe in a God. So that doesn't take away who they are. They just they're maybe not as in touch with their heritage as others are and that's it's a shame because they have just as much to offer as anybody anybody does it, it there's no reason that they should be left out they're lo- there's no reason for them to lose they're missing out on on 
on such a, a tremendous thing. And, and it sounds from the outside a little conceited and so and, and haughty and low. You think you've got something so good. But from the outside looking in, you, you can't see it. This is all internalized. Oh, the, our, our internal, I think I, I'm totally going off on a, ta- on a rant and a tangent here. But yeah, so just to, to, to summarize, it's about, it's about recognizing, it's about appreciating. And just an aside thing, I think the most important thing practically that you can do to help your tefillah is just to know what you're saying. And if that means saying less prayers, then pray less. Right? This is explicitly in the words of, of the, uh, the author of the Shulchan Aruch. Explicitly. That was so funny. I cannot believe you just said that. Go on. Okay. Okay. Didn't think you'd agree with that type of thing. But okay, Why would I not agree with it? This the words Shulchan Aruch that it's better tov bekavana. It's better to have minimal supplications, minimal prayers with intention and with proper focus, as opposed to many tefillos without. Because tefillos are not about the tefillos. Tefillos are about you connecting. And if that, and if you need to sing to do that, and if you need to. To do whatever you need to do, whatever you need to, for everybody is different. But that's that's, but that that's what it's about. It's not it's not it's not a it's not a game. It's not about building points for the afterlife. It's about connecting with God right now in the moment. Very, I like that. I like that. By the way, ooh, afterlife idea for a podcast episode. Oh, that we definitely have a lot to say about that. Oh, we we're good though. Okay, anyways. Ah! Okay. <laughs> um, all right, you felt that palpable excitement. Um, okay, first of all, I am so happy you invoked that Shulchan Aruch because that, that, uh, that idea from Rabbi Yosef Karo that you just said about maybe saying a little less as long as you'll have a bit more, uh, a bit more concentration and introspection. So I did not know he said that. I'm going to be very honest with you. I did not know he said that because this is not what they teach you because we have a, an easygoing system. You know, like that's just, there's an accepted thing that society does. Fine. But so that's something I would change, you know? <laughs> you like that little segment? You would think that we would that we would we would follow halacha a little better. And the, the, the idea is that there's no problem if you notice in any of the prophets. The, the prophets didn't come to the people with ideas about how to change the tradition. The the, the problems with tradition are, are simply a symptom. The issue and the root cause is is an individuals. Everyone, if everybody's doing the what they can and doing what they you know doing God's work, so to speak, and they're doing what they believe to be God's will, and they're, they're, it's important to them, it's meaningful to them, then it doesn't even, it's not even so important what the specific structure is, as long as it makes some degree of sense. It's when people are not as genuine about it that, that you can expose flaws in any system. Right, it's like Maimonides says, it's not that the sages gave us, uh, gave us the structure for prayer, is that the sages took the structure of prayer and put it into words. So there's a difference. You know, we think that, oh, what the sages taught us, like this is the only way to pray. Like that's it. This is, this is what you say. That's, they're the best at prayer. But if we look throughout scripture, that's not the case. You know, it's everybody is the best at prayer because everybody relates to life and God in a different way. You just have to work on it to become the best of your own version of prayer. So to me, like there's a, such a powerful line in Psalms. And I'm going to go on like a two-minute tangent about it because it's powerful. There's a the line in Psalms, the Hebrew of which goes, Karov Hashem very lev. King David says that God is close to the brokenhearted. People don't understand this verse because people don't read scripture. And I'm not saying this, I'm saying this a bit like, 
I'm not derogatorily towards people, but derogatorily towards the fact that we're not encouraged to find beauty within scripture. We're encouraged to kind of, okay, I'm not going to go into that. It's separate, separate, but fantastic, but separate discussion. Right. So if we remember one of Jacob's 12 sons, Judah, um, caused his father a lot of heartbreak. Um, he was considered to be the one to break the news to him in a very, uh, in a very callous and hateful way that his favorite son, Joseph, died. You know, and this isn't me. The sages very much blame him. And they say that he did a very bad, he did a very bad job as the, as the future leader of the, you know, as the future head clan of Judaism, in a sense, uh, like the, the clan of kings. He did a very bad job. He did not do well. And after, at his lowest point, the, 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 the scripture shifts to, and Judah left the, his father's house to go to Adullam, the caves of Adullam. And he started a business there, whatever it was. Okay, and that was his lowest point for Judah. You know, kind of ripping his father's heart out and leaving. Like, le just leaving. You know, and he starts a bit of his redemption arc a little bit when he uh, fights for his other brother, Benjamin, at the confront confrontation he had with Joseph. But we really see Judah's complete redemption arc in his descendant, King David. Because what happened to King David? Where did he begin his fleeing from Saul, where did he go right after he was anointed? He went to mm. the caves of Adullam. And what does it say he did there? He it ties it into the story of Judah. It says he went to the, king the caves of Adullam in order to heal the brokenhearted with words of about God. You know, and he healed the brokenhearted. That's where he got his, his start as a king. And as he, that's where he got his followers from in the beginning. Now, Judah broke a heart and went to the caves of Adullam. King David went to the caves of Dulam to rebuild hearts. And that's where you see kind of how it's his life story is embedded in his prayer. This one short verse that God is close to the brokenhearted. It's something within him, you know, like something beyond biology. Like, you know, you could say that it was whatever kind of imbued into his genetics from that story. And, you know, it was something his ancestors felt, yada, yada, yada. Just tell it as, as it is. It's something beyond science. It's something beyond biology. It's this, you know, I don't, eternal. It, it's eternal is what it is. You know, it's this unbelievable power to, you know, to have that connection to such an ancestor. Like, I'm not saying he conjured up an image of Judah. I'm just saying that there's something in the world that connects you to powerfully to the, to what your ancestors felt and did. And this was King David's prayer. You know, God is close to the brokenhearted. It meant the most coming from King David because King David had the most to atone for in the realm of broken hearts. Not atone for, but to fix, you know. And in our prayers, you know, like, like it's so hard to get to that level where we can just imbue our whole spirit with a prayer. It takes time. It takes, like, preparation. You don't just, like, go, yeah, not just that. Like, you know, even when you get to the years, right, you can't just go into a meditative state, you know, like. Yeah. You know, do a little, yeah. like, stance, you know, with your with your hands on top of your knees and like your, your, uh, your middle you finger. They get in the zone. Like, exactly. You know, like you gotta, you gotta like get yourself in the headspace and that's prayer, you know, like prayer is this beautiful thing. And sorry about that rant. Go on, David. No, it's fantastic. And it's true. It's, it's very difficult because even if we know all this stuff, it's so difficult because I, I have this problem all the time where I just go into tefillah and I finish it and I go in and out of it just without really a lot of thinking. And there's, uh, there's moments of concentration here and there. And that's this, this, what the sages teach that the, that the, uh, the 
pious men of the you know times gone by, times in the past, they would sit for an hour before and after praying. It wasn't. It was about taking. For the first hour is about preparing and, and and how am I going to go about this? And it's like, it's almost like somebody would prepare for a big meeting, and afterwards it's internalizing. Okay, recap. What did I what did I learn? What did I gain? How can I make myself better? How can I? It's not just about the prayer. The prayer is just the vehicle. Just like we see this with so many things in Judaism that that people can get confused about. That all the things that we do are vehicles. They're they're all means to an end. There's we we have all these different laws about you know we shake different plants around and and do things that to most people seem absurd but they're just ways for us to connect and we are human beings we're physical and we connect easier when we have a physical tang- tangible thing to to use as a as as a bridge and tfila is 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 the most in my mind the the best of them because it's the it's the Prayer. right on right on the barrier between physical and 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 completely non-physical because it's physical we're speaking in their words but anybody who's uh, compared to music and this is why David Amalek, all of his all of the King David all of his prayers were or a lot of them were supposed to be set to music if you look at the beginning of most of them right le David le so a song a, a hymn uh, even the one sung on Shabbos. Yes, even the ones sung on Shabbos, they're all supposed to be set to music. And that's because music is something that that touches you in a way that's not, it's just different. It's something that's beyond physicality. It's, it, that's that eternal thing that we talked about, something that's not physical. Only something that's not physical can be eternal. And if everything physical dies. You know, and it's so, you're right. It's so, it's so powerful because when I was, you know, when I was younger, I kind of looked at the, what the rabbis kind of instituted, like, you're never allowed to listen to music, this and that, like, you know, like, there's this idea that you should never listen to music, like, to Gaish, like, to non-Jewish music, right? And you know what, like, I understand why they instituted that rule for the masses, because look at all these songs, what are they all about? It's this, like, it's very... <laughs> it's not, it's not, you're not wrong, you're not wrong, it's just, people don't like being told what to do. So that's true. But the issue is that people don't know why they're being told what to do. People need to, people automatically dismiss things and don't say, okay, before I decide automatically that this person who told me what to do is wrong, let me at least approach it with an open mind. Why, why are we asked to do these things? Why? I mean, you're already doing this stuff. Most people are already doing it. So at least make it meaningful, make it have, it's supposed to have a certain purpose in your life. If you just do it because you're supposed to, then great, but you missed out. It wasn't a meaningful experience for you. You you You're missed right. out. 100%. Like, there's these people in my... Like, I really shouldn't be saying this, but I will, because I think that it's a problem in the broader world. Like, I see this, you know... It, it, I've seen people, let's say, in the circles that I go to when I grew up, and they... New York. They hear, <laughs> they hear this, like, idea of Kabbalah, right? Like, you know, whatever it's been watered down to nowadays... And like they have like all these ideas, like oh, you have to think of God's name with this or uh, with this variation of the letters, and you have to think of the numerical value of this Hebrew word and that Hebrew word, and that's going to get your prayers to the next level. I know people who didn't understand a word that was in the that was in the Jewish prayer book. They didn't understand a word, and they went and they brought a, a special prayer book that has all the variations of these letters and all the numerical values, 
and it doesn't mean anything. Like it's it's nothing. Like you know, like to them, I'm saying, like even if they learned about it, like, this is it's a ridiculous, ridiculous approach to prayer. And I know I shouldn't be like you know, kind of. No, it's correct. I think that's what the prophet meant when he said, "Lama li Why do I need your many offerings? Meaning, of course, the offerings are important, and the offerings are. are things just like whatever it is i can't profess to know but all this couple you know all this and that of course there's meaning to it and it has some kind of own thing but it's not it's not the primary it's a me it's a vehicle right the the, the offerings were vehicles there weren't it wasn't god didn't want the offerings god didn't eat them right? he says all right my food it doesn't mean that god is eating them it means that it's a well it's a whole that's a whole separate thing but the exactly. idea is that it's not it's about first Make it real for yourself. Make it honest. Make it. If you want to add on, uh, you, you know, I don't want to call them gimmicks, but at least to me and to people like us who who maybe don't go into that realm, it just it it's almost separate. It's not part of what we're doing. We're, we're having a conversation. Exactly, and you know, I to go back to the music aspect, I guess for a second. Like, I'm going to be very honest. Sometimes, in order to get into the zone of prayer. I have to listen to some non-Jewish instrumental music because there's all, there's so few. I, I, I'm sorry. I have to interrupt you. What in the world is non-Jewish instrument, inter, instrumental music? Isn't that just music? Like Bach or, you know, Mozart. Yeah. That's, uh, right. But I, like, you know, I have to say that it's non-Jewish because this is like. When I think non-Jewish, like I think of vulgar lyricism. That's what I think of. Right, right. But I'm like, because that's what we're taught. But like, you know, there are some non-Jews who really... Look, the music industry has been overridden by Jews and non-Jews who sing disgusting things. Okay, like, I'm not going to mention names because I don't want to get, like, sued. But we all know, if you ever look at, like, the top hits on whatever you get your music from, virtually all about, the, like, the human... Not clubbing. Exactly, yeah, you know, like, this and that. Like, such vague things and such, like, such not constructive things. You know, they're really not. Like, they just get you into a, to an, like, to a place that releases your animal self. It's the opposite of what we're, uh, of spirituality. It's the emphasis on the physical. Exactly. And so, like, before, before you know, the Sabbath, before Shabbat, I listened to the, I listened to, like, Hans Zimmer, the, I'm an amazing composer. I listened to his uh, instrumental, uh, his instrumental song called Time. I, I, from the movie Inception, that, uh, the musical piece there. I love that I, movie. I, it's, that, that song, that instrumental song, it gets me to relate to Shabbos and it's so powerful because it is about time. And you know, Shabbos is eternity in a sense. Mm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase something, you know, Abram Joshua Heschel said about prayer along these lines. I'm going to paraphrase. And he said, never once did I ask God for money, power, or fame. I asked God for wonder and he gave it to me because he knew the essence of prayer was being aware of the new minutia in your life and being appreciative for it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, one day I noticed the grass is green. One day I noticed the bush is green. The next day I noticed how many branches are on the bush. And I like, and then the next day I find out more about how these bush, how these bushes grow. And I'll like, thank God in our very uh, city type of environment, there's at least some trees and some nature to add a little color. You know, like it's, it's great. And it's so beautiful. And like, you know, all these things, like I, I'll tell everybody here a little minhug that I, a little custom that I have when it comes to prayer. And I think I've told this to you, David. Only because like, and I haven't done it so often, but I do do it like when I get a chance. 
what I've done is, let's say I'm making a blessing on food because Jews do that. You know, we make a blessing before and after when we eat. Because we say please and thank you. Exactly. But what I do is, because those have become pretty much words to me and not anything deep, and it's very, you know, central uh, generalized, what I've done is I've checked up, okay, let me look at, I have coffee every day, right? So I say, okay, let me look at how coffee was made, how the how beans are made. And then I found out coffee isn't even really like just beans. Like they're not yeah, It's beans. like a red fruit. It, it's a cherry. It's yeah. red cherries. And like you have to break them down. You have to get the skin off of the, sh- off of the bean. You have to roast it to a perfect temperature. And then it gets like, you know, grinded and then has to be shipped all over the world. It's un- like, it's unbelievable. There's such precise calculations. It's an art to make coffee. And like, besides the legalities that go into having contracts with cost, like, you know, with cost consumers and everything. And it's available at every supermarket virtually. Yeah, flash frozen. Yeah, but that's amazing. Why do they got to make it? It's good the way it is. The bean is fine. Why do you got to freeze everything and just so it can last for a thousand years? We Come on. But like, that's, like, you know, prayer is this, like you said, it's a constant awareness of a constant appreciation. You know, it's God, like, you know, King David said, even surrounded by my enemies, I will not falter because uh, I, I think of you, Hashem. Like, you know, and it's not that he's blind in that, like, oh, you know, um, oh, I'm not even going to wave my sword around. God will, God will just kill them. Like, that's it. Like, you know, with every swing of the sword, with every moment he was fighting with his life, the way my rabbi described it to me, the way the, way the sage that I learned from, I should really say, because I don't want to devalue him in my eyes. But <laughs> a sage that I learned from, the way he said it was, with every motion that King David performed, God was at the forefront of his mind. Um, sorry, I went on a rant again. You got to stop me. You got you to gotta stop me. No, I think you're going in a good direction. And this, this ties into a whole, a whole other thing, which we shouldn't go into. It's too long. But just the idea of like, we don't, when we pray, we, we, we still have to do what we have to do. There's still our part because at the end of the day, God, how, the, the level of, of divine involvement in our life is to the extent that we believe it's there. And I mean, really, truly believe, because I can say one thing, but deep down, I, another thing, you know, people, people say one thing and, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily as internalized. So if the, the, there is a level, I don't want to get into it, but there's a, there's a point you can get where, where all of nature is truly just a, a, a facade and just a front where, you know, as the story with, with Rav Hanina Bendosa, who, you know, lit a candle with vinegar instead of olive oil. And his daughter who had poured the vinegar, this is before Shabbos, they were lighting candles and they noticed, oh my God, this is vinegar, but it's Shabbos already started and everyone's freaking out. And Rav Hanina Mendoza says, what are you, uh, what are you so upset for? She said, I use vinegar. I said, vinegar. He said, okay, so what? He said, if God commanded oil to burn, then he can command vinegar to burn. It's, it, it's no difference. It, it got, it, it, the, but it, it only really works when you really believe it, because I can say it, but if I saw vinegar fueling a candle, I would be mind blown. And really, I shouldn't, but I would be. So the idea is that we have to do our part. We, of course, I can pray and God can give me everything that I need. But since I don't truly, I haven't internalized completely that, that, that God's, that, I haven't truly internalized God's kindness. I have to go and do some part of it. I have to go and work a little bit. And then obviously everybody knows, everybody who's, who's, you know, lived long enough. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about people like much older, people who've gone through, you ask them things, the way that things work out. It's always people do a lot of work. And then what you're looking for comes from somewhere else. 
it doesn't necessarily come the way that you thought it would because it wasn't about the work. It was about doing your part. And then you get it from wherever it comes from. Right. And I guess kind of like to finish this podcast off. Uh, okay. So I want to say a story and then we'll both say like one way I think that we can, that we feel prayer should change. You know, maybe, maybe you don't want to, or, or maybe like something you wish was incorporated into prayer. Let's put it that way. Um, so I, I want to say a story from the, from the Talmud. There's a story about a man who, whose wife died and he had a child who, with a newborn baby and he was very poor and he couldn't afford milk. And so the man prayed for God, you know, to give him, to give him, to allow him the ability to breastfeed. Yes, I know it's a very strange story. He was very poor. He couldn't afford milk. You know, it's a strange story. But essentially the story goes, and I'm not saying if this is a true story or not. I don't, I think it's meant to teach us a lesson, but let's talk about it anyway. The man started breastfeeding. Yeah, he, he was the first and the last man ever to breastfeed. And his child got milk. And there are two opinions of the sages. One opinion of the sages are, oh, look, this man was so great that he entreated God for something and God did it for him. He changed nature for him. God changed nature for him. And that's virtuous. And then another sage came along and said, that's, this, that's awful. This man is, it's, only, it's solely for like the child, I believe that they said, that God created and caused nature to change. But the fact that this man did not take the necessary precautions to be able to afford milk, to be able to earn a living, and this and that, is the re- is just it, it, this miracle was kind of like a uh, uh, an eternal an eternal scarlet letter, if you will, mm-hmm. saying that you should have prepared, but because you didn't, God had to change nature for you, like you know, and this and it's. It's something that's looked down upon, you know, to change nature because, because of your prayer, according to these, this group of sages. So, you know, to me, that story was always very powerful. Like that's, that's, such, a, that's such an unbelievable thing. Like, I think that we end off with the, the latter sages' opinion. Like, you know, I think that... Yeah, that it is kind of, echoed in, in different parts of the Talmud. I've seen that idea come up before. And it's, it's really unbelievable, you know. Like this is, prayer is not this tool to bypass the struggles of life like this cheat code to get around the hardships it's a real it's a real part of our life i i, I love that i think i think that it, it, like like you said it's not it's not about getting around it's about helping us get through if that if that makes sense yes yeah it makes we still sense. have to go through it and we still need it but we might we have a little bit more confidence a little bit more hope when we're able to go through it with God. I agree with you. And I think that's, um, yeah, I think that we discussed prayer for a while. So yeah, we did. We might have to cut some of this. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff, but I think this is good because, you know, we, we may not have agreed on, on a lot on everything, but I think the, the main idea and the important things, I think we can all, we can, we can, I think anybody would agree. It's, right. It's about making it real. It's not a gimmick. It's not a trick. It, just like anything real, it takes some, it takes work. You know, you have yeah, to invest, you know, buy an English sitter, get something that will help you. There's all sorts of resources out there. There's a thousand different ways that you can learn what the prayers mean and different ways to sing them. There's so much that you can do. Yeah. And buy, you know, buy a prayer book with the, that lists the sources of where we get these prayers from. Like, you know, go through scripture, see what the backstory of was of all these prayers. It's unbelievable. Like you'll really learn so much. 
Yeah, it um, takes on a whole new meaning. Yeah, to end off, I guess I'm going to incorporate something into prayer. Um, I'm going to say something I want to incorporate into prayer, then David's going to do it, and uh, then we'll, we'll finish. But if I had to incorporate something into prayer, it would be two things. It would be, first of all, a much more focus on the saying the the priorities, like the things you have to say. Like, let's say the, the you know, the Shema, the verse of Shema, and like those three paragraphs, and the Shema Nasri, and saying that, hey, you know, encouraging people to look around scripture and like, you know, to kind of make, you know, make word documents, like make these like, you know, great documents that show like how these texts are linked and like what the background of all cool stuff like you do. <laughs> Stop it. You're, you're, too, you're too kind. You got good stuff. I've seen, I've seen some of those papers. Those are good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, but, you know, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, I guess, be less afraid to, like to the, super, to the superfluous thing, if somebody doesn't feel connected to it, like I'm going to tell you the truth. I think in the 21st century, I don't think a lot of people feel connected to like a certain blessing that we say um, in one of our 13 blessings. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to say which one because everybody knows what I'm thinking about. I don't have to specify uh, one or two or three, maybe of the blessings, if, you know, that God did not make me this. Okay. Like we can, we have the power to override that, blessing because it is an institution of the sages and prayer has been updated before you know it's only in the 21st century where we've kind of stopped that but if we look at the real sages nowadays who kind of take into account what people are where our morality lies to take out one blessing would be a would be a greater blessing to me like you know and like or at least not even to change the like not even to take it out to shift the focus you know instead of saying Thank you for not making me this way. Say thank you for making me with my virtues and this and that. Um, I, I don't disagree. I, I can't say that I haven't struggled to understand certain, certain things in, in prayer. But I don't think the answer is to remove them. I think the answer is just like every other thing that we do in our religion that might seem strange is to better understand it. And the problem is that we so quickly see something that we don't like and it's so foreign to us and we just dismiss it and we're automatically not open to hear, to understanding it maybe in, in a little bit of a different way. So, you know, it says in, in scripture that when, I believe it was, was it not Sarah? Maybe Jacob's wife, Rachel? Or was it either one? No, no, that's what it was. It was, it was, it was Sarah. It was Sarah, that's right. That she went when she didn't, she had the two twins in her stomach and there was all sorts of oh, strange Oh, no, I'm sorry. Sarah and twins. No, no, no. It was, it was, no. It was Rebecca, Rivka. Right, right. So Esav and, and Yaakov. So when she, she, she went to go inquire of God. And then it says that, okay, so you would think like, okay, she's going to have some kind of prophecy. But it says that she goes to the study hall to go ask Shem and, and, and Ever. That the idea is that if, if we can... If you find free, everyone has to find for themselves their, what you would call the sage, their, their person who, who has, who can be like their shepherd in their connection with God. And then, you know, that's imperative in, in Jewish life. That's, that's, that's what keeps us going. I understand that. I understand that. I think that it's, but don't buy into the title that somebody has. No, it's not about the title. It has to be someone that, that, that understands you and where you're at. Not someone's going to give you platitudes or, or, um, you know, mission statements or whatever. Someone who's real with you. Just AKA like, just like not our prayers. Right. Huh? AKA not Rabbi Mizrahi. Oh, <laughs> uh, come on. 
<laughs> so we're being inclusive here. You know, we got some of those. Messages. I'm editing that out. I'm yeah, you definitely. But no, so if I would add one thing, if you're going to twist my arm, then I'm going to have to add something. I would love um, maybe just more singing. I think for me that, you know. Yes. I just feel like that really draws me in more and it makes it less of just repetition. And, it, you know, because there are times if you're not focusing, it becomes very repetitious because you're just saying the same words without any meaning over and over. So when you sing, it allows you to slow down and, and think about the words and feel them. And it's that, that, that I think for me makes it so much better. I a hundred percent agree. And I think we just got our cold open idea. We should end on we should, what better way to end this thing on prayer than with a song about prayer. No, I'm just kidding. Songs are supposed to be oh, joyful. Oh, thank God. I thought you were going to make me <laughs> Songs are supposed to be joyful. My voice is not that good. David has a great voice, but he's shy. So. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, go, it doesn't uh, transmit well over audio. Better in person. 